Today's reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, Faith in Action. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. For this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel bought bought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were hoping for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he, was, for he prepared a city for them. By faith, when Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, when she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who um, became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back the dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Good morning, everybody. Thanks very much, Nigel and Helen, for reading. That was a long passage, but um, well worth, I think, reading the whole chapter this morning. Well, as we come to it, let's um, pray for, for God's help. Father, we've already heard a lot this morning about the privilege of having your word in our own language. But we know that's no good unless you help us to understand it. And so we do pray now that by your spirit you would help us to understand the meaning of it. And you'd help us to apply it to our lives so that we would be those who live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, we had um, Simon Gilbo come and speak to us about his life in Burundi. Uh, he explained how 20 years ago, in his last year at Bible College, he prayed this prayer. He prayed, God, I trust you to do anything. I'll go anywhere. Just make it clear. Well, God answered that prayer by sending him to what was considered to be the most dangerous country in the world at that time, the country of Burundi. But he said he was willing to risk his life daily because he believes that if God is worth anything, he is worth everything. He shared some amazing stories of God at work transforming people's lives as they put their, their trust in him. And it was inspiring. It made you want to follow his example not necessarily going to serve the Lord in Burundi, but being prepared to live by faith, to be a radical disciple of Jesus in whatever situation that he's placed us. I'm sure we all have heroes and role models that we, we look up to. They don't have to be uh, well-known people, but people we aspire to be like. 
It's great to read Christian biographies. I don't know what your favorites are, but over the years I've been inspired by people like this, by Hudson Taylor, who went to China in the, in the 20th in the 19th century. Uh, Jackie Pullinger, who went to work with uh, uh, the drug gangs in, in Hong Kong. Uh, not just missionaries that go to different parts of the world, but those who are, are prepared to, to live by faith in the places in which God has put them. So uh, this guy here, George uh, Muller, who developed a ministry of orphanages in Bristol, uh, lived day by day, depending on the provision of finance uh, from the Lord. Uh, Corrie ten Boom, who was imprisoned for sheltering Jews from Nazis during the Second World War. Uh, Richard Vaughanbrandt, a uh, Romanian pastor who was imprisoned under communism uh, for preaching the gospel. And Johnny Erickson, who uh, continues to live by faith, uh, having had a diving accident which left her as a quadriplegic. And there are many more we could mention uh, who have been amazing examples of Christians living by faith. Well, this morning we're looking at the Hall of Fame of Bible heroes. Uh, these are amazing people. Um, but as we study this passage together, what we shouldn't do is think, well, he or she is just an exceptional person. Um, and I'm just not like that. Uh, the men and women listed here are in many ways just ordinary men and women with the same sort of flaws that, that we have. But by God's grace, they have lived by faith. And each one of us is able to do that as we ask for, for God's help. People may not write books about us, um, but they may be inspired by the impact we've had on their lives in very quiet and different ways. But before we come into the passage itself, let's just uh, remind ourselves how we've got to this point in the book of, uh, of Hebrews. Well, the key theme of the book uh, is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Uh, last week we looked at his superior sacrifice, the one perfect sacrifice which achieved complete forgiveness uh, for sins for all time. This is the verse we read in chapter 10. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It is that sacrifice that made it possible for us to have a relationship with God the Father. And so the writer uh, continues in uh, chapter 19 of, uh, of chapter 10, which we're not looking at this morning, but just to fit it into the, the context. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest, those are the reasons, and then therefore he goes on, let us, let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And throughout the book of Hebrews, as we've seen, interspersed between the passages about God's, uh, about Jesus' supremacy, about his work and person, we have these warnings and these encouragements. And in verse 26 um, to 31, it's full of warnings. Uh, finishes in verse 31 with the words, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
But it's only dreadful if you've not put your trust in him. And so we have the encouragement in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. In verse 39, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Where the author could then have moved on to chapter 12, where he encourages us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And we'll look at that next week. But before he does that, he encourages his readers in chapter 11 in a different way. Not with an exhortation, but by inspiring them with some real examples of people who lived by faith, who showed faith in action. And one thing they all had in common was that in the Old Testament, they had nothing but the promises of God to rely on. They had no visible evidence that these promises would be fulfilled. And yet they based their their lives on these promises And hopefully we will be inspired by them this morning. But let's um, start by considering the definition of faith that the author gives us in verse 1. Because there, he says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now normally, confidence and assurance come from seeing things in action. We have confidence in a person because we've seen them prove themselves. Or we lose confidence in a person because um, we've seen them do a pretty rubbish job. We ourselves can also have confidence in doing something when when we've done it before, when we know what to expect. But if we haven't seen or done it before, then it's easy to feel nervous or, or anxious. So how do we have confidence then? Well, here it says confidence comes through faith. Faith is the difference between looking at an uncertain situation or future with anxiety or looking at it with confidence. And the great heroes in this passage were those who had that confidence, who had that assurance, not because they'd seen these things, but because they had great faith. And of course, faith is not, it's not an abstract thing. It's not what some call a leap in the dark. Just hope for the best. It's about trust in a person. It's about trust in God and the things that he promises. And unlike those in the Old Testament, we are in an incredibly privileged position. Because we have seen, we've read the eyewitness accounts of some of those promises coming true. And not least the coming of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. We've known the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And yet faith is still hard, isn't it? Because we can't see Jesus now. He's not living during our lifetime on earth. So we can't point to him and say, there is God. We can't see the Holy Spirit now. We can experience him, but we can't see him and say, there is the Holy Spirit. And so we need to ask for faith constantly. So if it's faith that pleases God, what are the different types of faith that the people in this chapter showed? And how can we show that faith today? 
Well, the first of those is believing that God is creator of everything. Have a look at verse 3. It says there, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, God hasn't told us exactly how he made the universe, other than that he made it at his command, according to his will, and he made it out of nothing. And so it takes faith to believe this. But it also takes faith to believe that it came about as some sort of random event. It's just a different type of faith. And in fact, looking at just how beautiful, how varied, how intricate creation is, looking at just how finely tuned the world is that it holds together, it probably requires a great deal more faith to, to believe that it wasn't created by, by God. And I don't think people dismiss God as creator because they find it harder to believe. I think quite often they dismiss it because they are aware of the consequences of believing that God created the world. Because it means that we're, we are not in charge of our lives. We have an obligation to a, a higher being. And that is hard for a lot of people to accept. They would rather be in charge of their own lives and do whatever they please. But as it says in Romans 1, God has revealed himself to us in his creation. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. Creation points to a creator God. Secondly, and linked to the first, faith means believing that God exists. The author gives the example of Enoch in verse 5 as one who pleased God, and then goes on to say in verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I guess that's pretty obvious in many ways, um, but I always find it surprising when those who are not Christians, who, who don't think it's important to even investigate the claims of Jesus Christ, think that, well, if there is a God, then surely he will let them into heaven when it comes to it. And I did try and graciously point out that what that looks like on the day of judgment, you know, when they appear before the God they, they didn't believe existed, they never tried to, to seek, how can we then sincerely say to him, well, I'd still like to go and live with you forever? If you believe that God exists, then you have to live as though he exists. You have to live by faith. And the sad thing about our society is that even though many people say, yes, they believe in a God, they live as though he does not exist. Faith means believing that God exists. Thirdly, faith means believing in the world to come. In verse 8 onwards, uh, we read of the faith of Abraham. And as we looked at last term in that series in Genesis, he was called by God to leave his home country in Ur um, to go to Canaan. And verse 8 there says, uh, By faith Abraham... 
when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That is faith when you don't know where you're going and what God is expecting of you when you get there. When he did get there, verse 9, it says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. I know a number of you have lived in a foreign country. And um, for some of you here, the UK is a, is a foreign country to you. And it can be hard, can't it, when, you know, the language is not your first language. When the, the customs are a bit strange. When the, the people are a bit strange. It's not like when you visit a country on holiday and um, all the differences are actually quite interesting and fascinating. But when you live there, you have to accept them. You have to adapt and, and change. Abraham felt like a stranger in a foreign country. But this is not just about Abraham and Canaan. This is what it's like for all God's people living in this world. We too are aliens if we're Christians. We are aliens and strangers in this world. That's what the Bible says. And the reason is because this isn't our home. This shouldn't be our home. We shouldn't feel at home in a world which doesn't follow God. Instead, as it says in verse 10, for Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. When you're living in another country, all those things that you used to get frustrated with uh, from your own country uh, suddenly don't seem quite so bad. Um, if you're living in a country that's hot all year round, the British winter suddenly seems quite appealing. But Abraham didn't feel homesick for the country he had left. Verse 15 says, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. That wouldn't be faith, would it? That would be simply saying, well, I've, um, I've compared the two countries and I actually prefer my home country. I'm going to go back and live there. So they're thinking of where they're going to next. And they don't know what that's going to be like. Which is where the faith comes in. They are trusting that if God is there, then it will be better. So verse 16 says, Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's a similar language to that used by Jesus with his disciples before he, he died and ascended to, to heaven. He said, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. This um, passage in Hebrews we're looking at this morning was the one that Steve Pashley chose for his funeral before he died earlier this year. And you can see why, can't you? Steve lived for, for many years with a terminal illness and uh, not knowing how long he would live on this earth before he would go to be with God 
in his permanent home. But actually none of us knows how long we will live on this earth. We are dependent on God's mercy for each day of our lives. But if we are Christians, then like Abraham, we are strangers in a foreign country longing for our heavenly home. That is where it will be home. That will be far better than this world that we live in now. And that should affect the way we live our lives in this world. Because we need to live by faith, looking to what is to come. So what does that look like to live by faith in this life? Well, one thing is, it means believing in God's plans, even when we don't understand them. Where lots of the people mentioned in chapter 11 showed faith was trusting that God knew best. Even if they didn't understand his plans, or even if they they didn't know how he could possibly achieve his plans. Abraham was promised that from him would come many descendants. And yet his wife Sarah was too old to have children. She even laughed when the the Lord told her she would have a baby. But verse 11 says by... Sorry, we'll come on to that one. Um, But this is what it says in verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. What Abraham was asked to do was even harder because it's one thing believing that God will do the impossible But when you are asked to do something which you you can't understand, that's something else, isn't it? And so when it came to Abraham being told by God to sacrifice his son, what was going through his mind? Have a look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Even though this seems to go against God's promise, Abraham trusted that God knew what he was doing. How often have you really stepped out and done something which requires huge faith? For me, I guess leaving the world of banking, which I I knew, with which I was comfortable, um, to go to Bible college and then into ministry was an act of faith for me and Liz and for the family. We didn't really know what God had in store for us. We didn't know where we would end up. And we had to stick close to the Lord during that whole time as he made his plans clear to us, as he revealed them bit by bit. Becoming a Christian uh, in the first place is by definition a step of faith. You don't know where this new life is going. But it's a great journey and a great adventure as you live by faith. But those big steps of faith shouldn't be limited to becoming a Christian or going into ministry. We need to practice faith 
in the little things of life, if we are to honour God with the great opportunities. When did you last make yourself vulnerable? Where you weren't in control and you had to fully depend on God. The problem with life in the West is that we live by what we see. Uh, we're surrounded by, by man-made security, by things that take risk away from us, by, by insurance, by contingency plans. We plan things to, to the nth degree rather than trusting in God. And it is right to take risks for God. I think Simon Gilbo was actually quite, quite right when he said, sadly, the only goal for many of us is to get to death safely. I think sometimes we don't see God's power at work today because we're not stepping out in faith and trusting in him. Finally, and equally challenging, is that faith is believing that disgrace for Christ is of greater value than the fleeting pleasures of this world. In case you don't know the story of Moses, uh, he was put in a basket in a river by his Israelite parents at a time when the Egyptians were killing all the Israelite um, babies. Uh, their hope was that he would be found by, by Pharaoh's daughter and taken and brought up by her, which is exactly what happened. Um, but if you look at verse 24... We're told by faith, when he had grown up, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had all the pleasures, the riches, the privileges that this world could offer. And yet he knew that he still belonged to God. And so, verse 25, he chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. A lot of people have wrecked their, their marriages, their, their careers for the sake of the fleeting pleasures of sin. Um, fleeting pleasures of sin here, they were not just um, sexual temptation, but all the, all the things that we might enjoy in this life more than God. And the reason they are fleeting it's because even if you had a whole lifetime of pleasures, the greatest pleasures that this world could offer, if you compare that to eternity, it is minuscule. It is gone just like that. Moses was more interested in eternal joy, eternal relationship with God, than the pleasures of this world. And so he was willing to give up those pleasures and face human disgrace. Verse 26 says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He came back to Egypt many years later and was bold enough to confront the most powerful man in the world and rescue God's people from slavery. Living by faith is definitely not an easy option. And over in verse 36 onwards, we, we see some of the things that followers 
of Jesus have had to endure. It says there, let's come back, have a look at verse 36. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Now, we might not have to face that sort of persecution, that sort of disgrace for the sake of Christ. But let me ask you again, when was the last time you were disgraced for the sake of Christ? When was the last time you experienced mild humiliation for the sake of Christ? Think of what abuse Noah would have had to endure when he built his ark over many years, miles from the sea. All sorts of, of ridicule. But I think the problem is we try, if we're Christians here this morning, to, to maybe avoid those situations. We would rather be considered ordinary. Um, we think somehow that if we are ordinary, then, then people will be more willing to listen to us when the truth is they actually don't want ordinary. You know, they prefer extraordinary. Uh, they want to see people with the courage to, to stand up for what they believe, to be different, to stand out and be distinctive, to be willing to face disgrace and humiliation for the God they believe in. And then they might be interested in hearing what we believe in. What was God's response to the actions of his people? These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something far better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They did all that not knowing how they would be saved by Jesus, not knowing how he would give his life on a cross so that they could be forgiven and be made right with God. So they would be holy one day in God's sight. So the one day Jesus would come again and gather them, the living and the dead, to be with him in glory. Well, as we finish, like the Hebrews to whom this letter is addressed, we know how we've been saved if we're Christians. But the challenge to them is the same to us, to live by faith, believing that God is the creator of everything, believing that God exists, believing in the world to come, that we are just strangers and aliens in this world, believing in God's plans even when we don't understand them, and believing that disgrace for Christ is of greater value than the fleeting pleasures of this world. And if all that seems just too much and we feel inadequate, let's remember that it's not in our own strength. It's God's grace working for us. And we're promised in the Bible that God's grace is sufficient for us. For his power is made perfect in our weakness. Let's have a moment to reflect on what we've heard. Maybe you want to speak to God. Uh, call out to him for, for help. Maybe you don't yet have a faith. And you'd like that faith. You want to seek to him. 
Ask him for that. Ask that you can trust in him, put your faith in him. And if you already have that faith, just ask for the strength to live by faith, to have the courage to do what these heroes mentioned here have done. It's a moment of quiet, then in a few minutes, um, James will lead us in some more prayers. Almighty God, you are the creator, the maker of the heavens of the earth, of all that is seen and unseen. You are from eternity to eternity, outside of time, and you need for nothing. And yet, Father, you care for us. You long for us to know you and to draw increasingly closer to you. We praise you for who you are. You are a just God, a faithful God, a righteous God. You are holy and you are love. We praise you for all you've done, especially in giving your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. His sinless life, the perfect sacrifice, that all who believe in him may not die, but have eternal life, might have their relationship with you restored, might come before you, because our sins have been forgiven. The price has been paid. We've done nothing to earn that. It's by your grace that we've been saved and through the gift of faith. We can't thank you enough for revealing yourself to us and we praise and worship you. Thank you, Father, this morning for helping us to understand what it means to live by faith in whatever place you've put us. Our faith means we are confident in what we hope for and have assurance about what we do not see. Help us to trust in you, that you know what's best, to earnestly seek you. We believe in the world to come. Help us, like Moses, to see that disgrace, humiliation, ridicule for Christ is of greater value than the fleeting pleasures of this world. Give us the power, the strength, the courage to stand out for what we believe in, helped by your Holy Spirit. Forgive us, Father, when we fail, disappoint, and let you down, when we do things we shouldn't, and when we fail to do those things that we should. Forgive us, we pray. Help us, Lord, to follow you more closely, to listen to your prompting, to share the good news of who you are, and to live lives that bring glory to your name. We can't do that in our own strength, but with your help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can. Father God, we ask for your help for this world. When we look at the dangers, the risks, the uncertainties, the continued wars, the violence that gets reported on daily, the persecution of the Christian church in many parts of the world, both overtly and subtly, the poverty that compels so many to seek a better life elsewhere, the ups and downs in our own lives, we cry out to you for help. Father, we pray for peace and reconciliation, for strength to face the challenges, for generous and loving hearts 
and for the truth of who you are and your saving grace to be known to all. We pray for our leaders as they make important decisions on a range of issues from the health service, education, prisons, to our relationship with the rest of the EU and the role we play internationally. We pray that you would give them wisdom, insight and compassion in the choices they make. We pray for our church. Help us to show your love and mercy and generosity to others in all that we do through a kind word and encouragement, serving others in humility. Help us to love one another as you love us and to seek to build your kingdom here in Long Crendon and the surrounding area. We pray for our pastors, for Neil, Wellesley and Mark. May you encourage, strengthen, support and direct them in all that they do. Thank you for all those who serve in so many areas of church life. May you encourage and bless them, we pray. And help us as a church to be one that looks outward, that shares all that we have, and that demonstrates your love for the world. Father, we pray for our children, our teachers, as they come to the end of, of term, the end of the academic year. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them as they as they have a break, as they have holidays. May you be with them and guide them. We pray, Lord, for all those, uh, the missions and the camps taking place this summer. We pray, Father, that you would uh, just touch the hearts of all the children and adults that are involved in them. We pray, Father, for all those who are suffering at this time, through illness, through loss, through emotional hurt and pain. May they and their loved ones know and experience you with them. Uphold them with your love, comfort them and restore them, we pray. And Father, we thank you that you are a loving God. We thank you that you hear us when we cry out to you. And we lift all these prayers to you, our Lord and Heavenly Father, and ask them in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.